Welcome to the Section 121 Leader Podcast. I'm your host, Stanley Black. And in this episode, we will be jumping off from Doctrine and Covenants Section 121, verse 41, where it talks about meekness as one of the ways that power and influence can and should be maintained. So digging into this concept of meekness, because I think particularly from a worldly perspective, particularly from a great and spacious building perspective, meekness is kind of a tough concept to get your head around. So as we look at the scriptural context, there are many scriptures extolling the virtue and the importance of meekness. When I was in seminary, my seminary teacher explained meekness as great power under absolute control. And I think that's part of it. From a definition perspective, there's a strong correlation between meekness and submissiveness, which makes a lot of this all the more confusing because how are you supposed to be a submissive leader? But the key here is being submissive to God, being willing to accept the will of God and to lead in his way as you face the people and as you serve them. So let's dig into a few of the scriptures about meekness in order to try and understand it a little bit better. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, it says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So that's pretty significant from the context of the idea that eventually this earth becomes the celestial kingdom. Therefore, meekness is definitely one of the attributes associated with those who are exalted. In Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, it says, Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. So we see that Moses, the great leader who led the children of Israel out of Egypt, it was extolled as being very meek. So positive attribute there amidst the great challenges that he had leading the people across the desert. Jumping over to sermons from the Book of Mormon, some of these we've touched on before, but we'll touch on them again because of the relevance to meekness. Mosiah 3.19, For the natural man is an enemy to God, and has been from the fall of Adam, and will be forever and ever, unless he yields to the enticings of the Holy Spirit, and putteth off the natural man, and becometh a saint, through the atonement of Christ the Lord, and becometh as a child, submissive, meek, humble, patient, full of love, willing to submit to all things which the Lord saith fit to inflict upon him, even as a child doth submit to his father. And then ratified again in the next book there, in Alma 13. And now, my brethren, I wish from the innermost parts of my heart, yea, with great anxiety, even unto pain, that ye would hearken unto my words, and cast off your sins, and not procrastinate the day of your repentance, but that ye would humble yourselves before the Lord, and call on his holy name, and watch and pray continually, that ye may not be tempted above that which ye can bear, and thus be led by the Holy Spirit, becoming humble, meek, submissive, patient, full of love, and all long-suffering. So again, that strong connection to submissiveness, to patience, to that connection with God, and submissiveness to his will. Then jumping into a direct invitation from Christ in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest to your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So Christ's invitation to take his yoke upon us corresponds directly 
to the idea that his meekness is part of what helps us find that rest to our souls by taking his yoke upon us. So Christ demonstrates the attribute and invites us to find greater peace and rest by coming to him. And in this invitation from Christ, we see part of the great key to making meekness work. Because on the outset, from a worldly perspective, from the great and spacious building, meekness doesn't work. You'll just get run over. But in Ether chapter 12, Moroni was concerned about his weakness, about his lack of clarity in writing, so much so that he was praying about it and got a very interesting answer from the Lord. Starting in verse 25, he said, Thou hast also made our words powerful and great, even that we cannot write them. Wherefore, when we write, we behold our weakness and stumble because of the placing of our words, and I fear lest the Gentiles shall mock at our words. And when I had said this, the Lord spake unto me, saying, Fools mock, but they shall mourn. And my grace is sufficient for the meek, that they shall take no advantage of your weakness. And if men come unto me, I will show unto them their weakness. I give unto men weakness, that they may be humble. And my grace is sufficient for all men that humble themselves before me. For if they humble themselves before me and have faith in me, then will I make weak things become strong unto them. So this scripture is crucial to our understanding. We are not being asked to be submissive or weak for the sake of submissiveness itself, but to overcome pride and to allow Christ to turn our weakness into strength, to have the humility to allow him to guide us through trials, challenges, and weaknesses to get us to a point that we can be strong in his strength by his accord and his grace, not of our own right. But how does all this correlate to leadership? How are you supposed to lead from a position of weakness? In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 8, it says, For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself for battle? How can you lead from a position of submissiveness? Because people do need leadership, don't they? Of course, many times when a leadership position or calling feels like it's been thrust upon us, we feel like the example spoken of in Isaiah chapter 3, starting in verse 6, when it says, When a man shall take hold of his brother of the house of his father, saying, Thou hast clothing, be thou our ruler, and let this ruin be under thy hand. In that day shall he swear, saying, I will not be an healer, for in my house is neither bread nor clothing. Make me not a ruler of the people. So that's a scenario where someone is like, oh, you have some stuff. You're, you're in a position. You, you, you be the one. You be in charge. And, and uh, that way, uh, when things fail, it's your fault. And the response of, yeah, I'm not going to be the fall guy on this. Yeah, no, we're not going to do that. But in so many cases, doesn't it feel like that? Particularly if we volunteered for something or if things are kind of flagging in a project that people are like, well, yeah, there's, there's the leader. We'll, we'll, blame the, we'll blame the fault on him. And so it seems nearly impossible to maintain this spirit of meekness in the middle of the attacks of people wanting to have you be the leader so that they can blame you for what's not going well. 
I believe that the key here to making meekness work in a leadership standpoint is maintaining that connection to Christ and that trust in him such that as we feel the threat, as we feel the attack, as we feel the pressure of leadership, we can have sufficient trust in the Lord to not let the demands of those we are leading cause us to be threatened. Remember Moses, that one who was mentioned as being meeker than all the men of his time? There were several times that the Lord had him get water out of a rock. But the last time, in Numbers 20, things were different. Starting in verse 7, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock. So shalt thou give the congregation and their beasts drink. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because ye believed me not, to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. So Moses did successfully get water to the people. But in this time, in his frustration with the people, you note he said, Here now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? In that moment he did not remember to glorify God. The stress of leadership, the stress of leading such a rebellious people across the desert got to him. And by this time, he had a lot of experience smacking rocks and getting water out of them. He knew he could do it, and so he did. Rather than speaking to the rock and giving glory to God as he had been commanded. And I think in this example, we see the great challenge of leadership and leadership pressure. Think about callings that you have had. When did the calling get really hard? When did the calling become something that was exhausting and just so hard to keep up with? I don't know about your experiences, but for me, that point of callings has always been when I thought I understood how to do the calling. When I was completely clueless about the calling, and yes, operating in a spirit of greater meekness, everything was based on the Lord's inspiration. And so we would pray, seek inspiration, and then with that inspiration, we would go about doing the best that we could to serve God's children. But later on, after you've been doing the calling for two or three years, and you kind of have the hang of the administrative nature of it, and you're plugging along doing things, at least for me, that's when a calling could get to a point where I reached burnout. Why? Frankly, because, like Moses, I was taking too much on myself. I was judging my value, my worth, my performance based on things that had nothing to do with me, but had to do with the agency of God's other children. See, just because you're called to be a leader doesn't mean that you're called to override the agency of God's children. And if people 
are choosing not to participate, choosing not to act in a righteous way, frankly, that's between them and God. Yes, you have a responsibility to teach them, to help them, to do the best that you can, but the idea is to do it in a spirit of meekness, to do it in the strength of the Lord, not your own strength. But in a natural man perspective, isn't it so tempting if I've come across the desert smacking rocks and getting water out of them so that now I understand that this can be done, that when the Lord tells me where the next rock is, I just go smack it? But in so many ways, the trials of life are not about having water. It's about acknowledging where the water came from to give people the opportunity to have faith. Because people applauding you as being a great leader is not the point. Your responsibility is to lead them to Christ. Because you can't save them, but he can. So our challenge in leadership and in trying to act in meekness is to remember to always lead in the Lord's way and not get defensive. But you say, that's all well and good, Stanley. You don't know how much stress I'm under. Well, here's a question I have for you. Not just in church positions, but out in your job, in life, in the world. Have you noticed that there are some people who say all the right things, but you still don't trust them. They're saying what they should be saying, the words that theoretically should motivate and lead a team, but you just don't trust them. And maybe you can't quite put your finger on it, but you don't trust them. Whereas there are other leaders who say far less, but you feel that you can trust them implicitly. You feel that they truly have your best interest in heart, and that When they do ask you to do something, you'll do it because you know they wouldn't ask unless there was a really good reason. What makes the difference? Why can you trust one and not the other? And it's easy to say, well, because the actions of the other, I've seen this, that, or the other that that has me, so I can't really trust him. But how is he saying the right words then? At least most of the time when I've interacted with these people in private, they believe the words that they're saying, and they believe that they're doing it right. But yet as the receiver, it's clear that they are incongruent. So where is this incongruency coming from? Well, it comes from the fact that they're defensive. It comes from the fact that they're trying to be independently and individually strong. But in their heart, they're still defensive. They're still not quite sure. They're somewhat doubtful. But they're trying to put on a facade of confidence so that they can fulfill the responsibility that is theirs to lead. And that's the challenge in the world is the world will tell you to fake it till you make it. To, yeah, you got to be strong. you gotta, you got to put on the charisma. you got to do all these things that, that people who lead seem to demonstrate. So, yeah, we're going to do this and, and we're going to be strong and we're going to make this work. But you and I both know that that doesn't work. Why? Because what's in our heart comes through as we speak. So as counterintuitive as it is, the key to that leadership that gets people to voluntarily want to follow is meekness. It's being yoked together with Christ, having a trust in him that allows you to address your fellow men 
with patience and calmness. But how is this to be done? How, how are you supposed to do this under all the pressure to perform? Well, I obviously don't know everything, but I have figured out that in a lot of cases, it's a matter of time. In that, when someone proposes an idea, when someone makes a suggestion, who is one of the people that you are leading, it is very appropriate to immediately thank them for their input and then give yourself time to be calm. Give yourself time before you respond and look at an implementation so that you can calmly think and do what needs to be done. But it's important to give the thanks and the gratitude immediately so that people understand that you truly do appreciate their input. And then in calmness, away from the pressure, think about it and see what needs to be done. In this way, you can avoid being the man who is defensive about leadership from Isaiah or Moses hitting a rock inappropriately. So much of urgency and time pressure leads us to believe that meekness doesn't work and is not okay. But people are looking for leaders. They want someone who has a plan. They want to be able to be part of something bigger than themselves. So they want a good leader. But that doesn't mean you have to succumb to the urgency of the moment that keeps pulling you over towards the great and spacious building and believing that you don't have time to be meek. It is our trust in Christ and being yoked with him. And just like Moroni needing to trust that the Lord would take care of the outcomes and not cause the work that Moroni was doing to appear to be foolishness. In the same way, we trust the Lord to help us with the outcomes as we meekly lead in the way he has called us to. Trusting him, not taking the burden on ourselves, but calmly and patiently and submissively always leading in his way, rather than feeling, through some perverse deception of the adversary, that we've got this, that we know how to hit rocks, and that we're responsible to hit the rocks ourselves. We're not responsible for rock management unless that truly has been given into our hands as a stewardship. Until then, we trust the Lord and we keep interacting with rocks and water only in his way. And of course, we're not talking about rocks and water. We're talking about his children. And yes, their failures hurt. Yes, their pains hurt. Yes, we care deeply about them and want them to have better outcomes. But not being meek and not leading in the Lord's way doesn't actually help them. Because their agency is just as important as yours. And maintaining a spirit of meekness allows you to maintain the health of the relationship so that when they are ready to change, when they are ready to do differently, that they trust you enough to come and ask for help. May you be blessed with the peace of leading in meekness. Thank you.